in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and to my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Yesterday we celebrated uh, the feast of Edith Stein, a martyr and a religious Carmelite, co-patron of Europe, whose entire life was full of signs, signs that indicated her own Holocaust, the Holocaust of her life for the, for the Jewish people. Many signs throughout her life pointed to this to this dramatic end, together with her sister Rose, and even signs throughout her life as she discovered God. Today, we have another martyr. Today, we have Deacon Lawrence, who, under the persecution of Emperor Valerian in the year 258, he too showed that he had a life that was a sign, that is, that indicated something else. There was a vicious persecution by this emperor, Emperor Valerian, condemning all Christian clergy, all deacons, uh, even many lay people, and especially it was directed towards uh, Lawrence because he had endeared himself so much with Christian people. And Valerian demanded that he, being a deacon who was in charge of the material goods of the church, that he assemble all the real gold, all the values of the church. And so the story goes that if he could show the church's great gold and silver and where it was located, and give it to the emperor, then the emperor would show him clemency and would spare his life and would allow him to continue working as a deacon in the church. So Valerian was delighted when the deacon asked for three days to gather up all the gold, all the silver of the church in one single place. And uh, Valerian was very expectant about this moment. And so for three days, Lawrence went throughout the city of Rome and invited all the poor, all the handicapped, all the misfortune to come together in one place. And they were all being supported by a, a good and thriving Christian community. And they had understood the imperative to take care of the poor, to love the poor. And of course, he brought those to the emperor and the emperor was filled with rage as he saw, what I mean, this is not gold, this is not silver, this is poor, handicapped, uh, sick people. And as a result of his rage, Lawrence was burnt alive on a grill. Apparently he even choked with the executioners before he was killed. But after that, there was a huge upsurge in conversions, in people, people becoming Christians, and devotion to St. Lawrence spread. 
especially of him there on the image of, on the grill. You know, I don't know. That was that was an interesting image, I'm sure. But probably what you're more familiar with is the famous image by uh, Frangelico of uh, the different stages there, where he is searching for the poor and he's going throughout the Rome, and then scenes of him gathering all the poor, and he's standing there in the middle in this well, beautiful sort of Renaissance style, where all the poor are in the lane, and there are people with crutches all around him, and he's there standing around. And then the next scene, he's being burned for that. It was an important, uh, artistically, it was an important, uh, let's say, milestone in the representation, let's say, three-dimensional representation with linear perspective and so forth, but but it also expressed a great devotion at that time to this deacon, St. Lawrence, who is a martyr. And uh, it helped uh, to galvanize the desire for sanctity in Rome at that time. Many people converted. It just this understanding that sanctity did really mean going all the way, even into death. But with all the people that were there, there was just a multiplicity of types of people. Some were called uh, martyrdom, others not. Leading to a famous quote from St. Augustine formulating, you could say, I suppose, the call to sanctity. He said, St. Augustine said in the fourth century, I tell you again and again, my brethren, that in the Lord's garden are to be found not only the roses of his martyrs. In it there are also the lilies of the virgins, the ivy of wedded couples, and the violets of widows. On no account may any class of people despair, thinking that God has not called them. And well, we go today to both Either Stein and St. Lawrence to ask them to intercede for us Actually, we always go to our father, St. Josemaria, who articulated this all the more, never to, never to lose a sense that our life has to be a sign. Edith Stein had many events in her life that were like a sign. You know, she, she studied, as you probably know, she studied under Edmund Husserl, and he, he, he was a specialist in phenomenology, and many of the students that he studied, or rather that studied under him, ended up becoming uh, Christians or converted. And, and then he introduced her to um, Max, Max Scheller, who in turn introduced her to Catholicism. And that sort of opened the eyes to what Catholicism was. And then she went to Austria to work as a nurse during the First World War in a field hospital where many were afflicted with typhoid and she saw many difficult things. She saw amputations, she saw all kinds of terrible, terrible suffering. And it was an occasion for her to begin to think more deeply about suffering and she ended up writing a thesis on empathy with Husserl after she came back from that, that very difficult time. And then there was that incident in Frankfurt where she was in the market and she saw this old lady going into the cathedral of Frankfurt and she followed her in. She, I mean, either Stein was still Jewish at the time. She had been an atheist also for some time, but now she was sort of opening up 
more. And uh, she saw this lady go into the cathedral with all her bags and, and all her shopping material. And, and this lady walked into an empty church, no, no service, nothing happening in the church as such, maybe dark candles and other people, but this lady entered, knelt down, plunked down all her bags and began to pray. And she understood that she was, that she was in a dialogue with somebody that was there, that she was talking with. That is, that was the Lord. She was directed to the tabernacle. And Edith observed this from behind. For her, religion was always a series of ritual acts and external actions and uh, you know, ceremonies, but not this intimate dialogue, which was presented to her in this sign of this woman, this old lady who had probably no idea well, that she was being observed like that. And it was a sign that opened the doors of her soul. And, and then further signs came, just like, just like with Lawrence. Husserl has an, had an assistant whose name was Adolf Reinhardt. And he, he was shot, killed in, in Flanders during the war of November 1917. And so Edith went to Göttingen to visit this man's widow. They were Protestant. Uh, they'd both converted to Protestantism. But Edith felt very uneasy about going to visit this young widow. And, uh, but then she was quite surprised to see that this widow was actually a woman of faith and actually quite serene. She said, this was my first encounter with the cross and the divine power it imparts to those who bear it. For it was the moment when my unbelief collapsed and Christ began to shine his light on me. Christ in the mystery of the cross. And well, we know that with time she, she ended up receiving the grace of conversion and was baptized in January 1st of 1922. And even later on, more signs came like in in 1933, she went, she went to a Holy, Holy Thursday service with a friend in some church in Germany, and the homily moved her very deeply because the priest was not afraid to speak of the cross. And she wrote this powerful passage. She said, I told our Lord that I knew it was his cross that was now being placed upon the Jewish people. This was 1933, the synagogues had been burnt. There was, uh, you know, just outright persecution of the Jews. I knew that, that his cross was being placed upon the Jewish people, that most of them did not understand this, but that those who did would take it, take it up willingly in the name of all. I would do that. At the end of the service, I was certain that I had been heard. But what this carrying of the cross was to consist in, I did not know. This was 1933. It was only 1942 that she was eventually uh, sent to Auschwitz, where she perished. And then she even she wrote these amazing words a bit later. Every time I feel my powerlessness 
and inability to influence people directly, I become more keenly aware of the necessity of my own Holocaust. Those are obviously very uh, you know, words with strong premonition to them. You know, I become aware, I'm, I'm weak here, so I become aware of the need, the necessity of my own Holocaust. Well, that's precisely what our Lord speaks about in today's Gospel. He says, today, I, amen, amen, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much wheat, it produces much fruit. So we tell our Lord now, I want, to, I want to produce fruit in my life. I want uh, my life also to be a sign. But for that, I need to somehow die. I need to die to myself. Lawrence died first to himself, either Stein died to herself, then they both became martyrs. To me, uh, the most uh, moving moment was when the Gestapo came to Eicht in Holland, where she had basically been exiled in hiding with her sister Rose in that convent. And the Gestapo came and searched her out, even though I mean she was a Christian by now, but. She was still originally a Jew, so they came to carry her off. And you just picture now these two Gestapo men dressed in black, in their black uniforms, with skull and bones on their, on their, on their cap there, which is such a bizarre thing to put on a, on a military uniform, if that's what you can call it, military. And they waited. Edith Stein came out with her dressed in her habit and of course Rose was delaying fearful to come out in front of these fearsome men and uh, well Edith's last words last recorded words she called into the convent and said to Rose let us go for our people let us go we're going for our people and then finally Rose came out and they carted her off to and Early on the morning of seven, uh, August 7th, 1987, excuse me, uh, early in the morning of August 7th, 987 Jews were deported to Auschwitz, and it was probably on August 9th, so yesterday, that uh, Edith Stein and Rose were gassed with all those people. It's a, it's a terrible act that we can make atonement for even now and ask God that somehow he might draw good out of that, for that matter, out of good out of the Emperor Valerian's um, horrific uh, execution of Deacon Lawrence and so many other Christians of the time. And, um, and so we go to either Stein, we go to, to Lawrence, and ask them for the same zeal for truth, the same at least in the case of Edith Stein, the same depth of thought and love for the truth, which will lead us ultimately closer to the truth, to God, and to his purpose for us, and how we can embrace the cross. We could ask, what is my Holocaust? What really are you asking of me? 
Maybe we have to identify that a little bit more. For some, it's a Holocaust coming back from the annual course. <laughs> but, you know, when the Lord is asking us to carry our cross, we have to ask, we have to ask for strength. Not mere moral strength, as in, of course, we need the virtue of fortitude, we, we need that, and that, that, that's good, but it's not enough only to have the virtue of fortitude. We need to know who we are, what our purpose is, why this is in my life, especially the ability to do so as our Father wanted, always with this good humor, good humor. And sometimes we know, the Father has said this many times, that some of the best mortifications are the mortification of smiling, when we don't feel like smiling, when we're not in good humor. And to, and to have a real sporting spirit. This is how our Father saw this. He said in furrow, when there's love, there's no room for simple resignation to carry the cross. You hear that resignation to carry the cross. Well, there's my cross. I've resigned to it. Resignation, as, our, as you know, our Father didn't feel that it was a very generous word. Uh, even the, the way our, our Lord says here in St. John, Amen, Amen, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much free, the fruit. That's not, a, that's not an act of resignation. That's not, oh well, you got to be a grain of wheat, you got to die. <laughs> it's just too bad. Oh, if you die, you get fruit. And what, you know, savory wine, I don't know, whatever he said after, but, uh, or whoever loses his life, you know, whoever, sorry, whoever loves his life, whoever, and, and whoever hates his life in this world will persevere it for the etern for eternal life. The, you know, the, sort of the, the magnanimity, of course, with which our, our Lord would have spoken. And our Father expressed that through telling us there shouldn't be any room for simple resignation. He said, it is true that to follow Jesus Christ is to carry the cross. He has said so. But I do not like to hear souls who love our Lord speak so much about crosses and renunciations because where there's love, it is a willing sacrifice, though it remains hard, and the cross is the Holy Cross. A soul which knows how to love and give itself in this way is filled with peace and joy. Therefore, why insist on sacrifice as if you were seeking consolation if Christ's cross, which is your life, makes you happy? Well, the, yeah. No. If we're really seeking cross, Christ, cross, Christ's cross, and either side was Benedict of the Cross. And deeply there, it made her happy. Oh, I was reading the other day the, the anniversary, the 85th anniversary of the destruction of the Sacred Heart statue in Spain during the Civil War by Republican uh, militia. Probably when you've read the books about the history of the work and the history of our father and stuff, 
when you see those pictures of the of the Civil War or any any historical account of the Civil War in Spain, you'll see the famous picture of these uh, militiamen pointing their guns at a statue of the Sacred Heart, a big, huge statue, kind of like the more, I don't know how tall it was, but I guess imagine the, the statue of Rio de Janeiro there, right? And they're all pointing at this, that was a statue of the Sacred Heart, and, and, and they basically fired at it out of hatred. And the story was back then in, on August 7th, 1936, there, there, there had been like uh, all these vigils of prayer in front of that statue. And as I understand, there was a, like a chapel or something there. And there was like this group of people that were like in some kind of confraternity of the Sacred Heart or something. And, and there had been a large mass packed with people. It was outdoors, as I recall. And, and all those people went back home, I guess, to Madrid or wherever they were from. And, uh, but five people stayed behind to kind of stay vigiling, you know, and uh, on vigil and prayer and adoration from the Sacred Heart. It was called El, El Cerro de los Angeles, the, the Mount of the, of, of the Angels or whatever. And so they were there, on these five guys were there on guard. And, and so they, they, as I understand, they went to a, like a nearby restaurant to have lunch. And as they sat down to eat, they said grace. And some people were observing them as they made the sign of the cross and so forth. And, uh, and just the sign of the cross there was like a death sentence for those guys because there were some guys watching. And they were denounced to the militia that come. And when they came back to pray in front of that statue, they were executed right there. And, uh, and later, the militia decided to destroy this statue but the famous picture I'm referring to is when they're pointing their guns at this statue. And in fact, what they were saying was, apuntad con odio, disparad con ira. Right? Uh, point and shoot with hatred and, you know, shoot your guns with uh, hatred, basically. And, uh, and then they tried to tear it down. It was very difficult to tear it down. It took them two days to tear the thing down. And uh, they went first with a, you know, with some kind of large rope, which then, you know, snapped in two, and they couldn't, and they bombed it, and uh, it was a destroyed monument. So later on, after the Civil War, as I understand, they rebuilt a cross there, and um, and there was a massive reparation there made, and it's just a simple cross erected there. And we too must erect little crosses every day. And like those men, stay vigilant so that they're not torn down out of our human vision or our human laziness or lack of, lack of imagination in embracing the cross and staying vigilant. And uh, that's why we have to even offer little moments of interior mortification when the fantasies of our imagination starts or vain memories enter, or the very disordered affections that, that may rise up, attachments, curiosity, all that. It's all interior mortification. And these are all little crosses that we have to rise and not let them fall down. And as our father said in the way, remember that the heart is a traitor. Keep it locked with seven bolts. For everything that doesn't lead you to God is an obstacle. Tear it out and cast it far away from you, he said. So, 
We have many occasions, and we'll ask our blessed Lord to guide us in this, and we have these two saints, and uh, we ask them to discover the cross and the meaning of the signs in our life, because our Lord said, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, that grain of wheat will not bear fruit. I want to bear fruit, Lord, and I also want my life to really be a sign. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.